Amen. This morning, if you have your Bible or device, however you read God's Word, take it out or turn it on. And this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And in just a moment, we're going to read the Christmas story. Last week, we kind of started this, and we're really just doing a two-week kind of short sermon series about Christmas, because I want you to really understand Christmas, because so often at Christmas time, we're distracted and we focus on the wrong things. Even when we focus on the Christmas story, we focus on the wrong things and we miss the heart of God. Because one thing I want you to understand about the Bible is I understand the Bible is written by many different authors. I understand it was written over a period of hundreds and hundreds of years. But I truly believe with all my heart, just like the Apostle Paul, that this word, every word on these pages is the breath of God. I believe that this Bible is God's word to you and to me to reveal himself to us, to reveal his love to us and his plan to redeem humanity from the foundations of the world. And I want you to understand from the Old Testament to the New Testament, every word in this book points to Jesus Christ. But we miss that so often because we focus on the wrong things. So this morning as we look at Christmas, I want you to see the heart of God. The title for this short sermon series is The Reason for the Season. And if you were here last week, you'll know the reason for the season. It's not what you think it is because we see that plastered everywhere. We see that Jesus is the reason for the season. But biblically, Jesus is not the reason for the season. So if I was to say blank is the reason for the season, how would you fill that in if you were here last week? Sin is the reason for the season. Our sin is the reason we have Christmas. Not Jesus Christ. How do I know that? We'll go back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, guess who was there? Jesus Christ was there. John 1 tells us that. But guess what wasn't in the Garden of Eden? Christmas. We didn't have Christmas in the Garden of Eden. Why? Because we didn't have sin in the Garden of Eden. If there had been a need for Christmas in the Garden of Eden, Jesus would have been born and he would have died and he would have been a sacrifice. But in the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect until Adam and Eve chose sin. And ever since that day, God has been on a mission to redeem, to save humanity, to restore the relationship that was lost all the way back in the garden. So last week, we learned the reason for the season was sin. And this week, I want you to learn God's solution for our sin. And to do that, we're going to read the Christmas story. I've told you over and over that for any reason, this year just doesn't feel like Christmas time to me. And even today, two days before Christmas, it still does not feel like Christmas to me. But I'm thankful at my house it feels like Christmas to someone because our house has been decorated for two months for Christmas. And we've had trees and garland and wreaths and everything else. But one of the things we have all over our house is we have nativity scenes. Now Paige loves nativity scenes and one of the things that I've always done whenever I travel is I buy her nativity sets from wherever I go around the world. So in our house we have a bunch of nativity scenes and we have them from Ecuador and Peru and Haiti. We have some from Israel and Jordan. We have some even from Southeast Asia and North Africa. We have nativity scenes from all over the world. And some of these nativity scenes, it's interesting how they view the Christmas story and the things they put in their nativity scenes that other parts of the country do not. Some of the TV scenes we have have angels in them, some don't. Some have wise men in them, some don't. Some have shepherds, some don't. Some have animals, some don't. 
But all the nativity scenes we have, from wherever in the world we get them, there are just a few things that all of them have in common. And here they are. Number one, every nativity scene we have has Joseph and Mary. They all have that. They all have baby Jesus. And every single one, baby Jesus is lying in a manger. And he's wrapped in strips of cloth or swaddling clothes. So I guess the great question is why? Why do all those nativity scenes have that scene in common? Well, look at Luke chapter 2 and let's just read the story and try to figure it out. We'll start reading there in verse 1. This is what Luke says. He says, At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quinarius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from a village in Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news. That will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. And you will recognize Him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined with a vast host of others. The armies of heaven praising God and they were saying glory to God in the highest. And peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see the thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart, And thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks. Glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Now one word you heard repeated over and over and over in Luke chapter 2. In this story of the birth of Christ was the word shepherds. Shepherds. The angels appeared to shepherds. They went to Bethlehem. The shepherds. The shepherds returned home to watch their flocks. The shepherds were astonished. Now, have you ever wondered why the birth of Jesus was announced to shepherds? Why did the angels not go to the high priest in Jerusalem? Now, Bethlehem was only about five miles, just 5.6 miles away from Jerusalem. The high priest at the time Jesus was born was Joazar. You probably didn't know that. We don't ever talk about the high priest of Jerusalem. But why did God not go to the high priest, the most holy, the most religious in all the land, and say, hey, the Messiah, the Savior's been born? If not Joazar, why didn't they go to a rabbi? Or to a priest, or to a preacher, or to a pastor, or to a prophet, or to someone, religious at least. Why would they go to a shepherd? Why would Jesus be born? 
in a place really off the beaten map. A small town, really a village, that really did nothing except raise animals. That's all they did. Why would God ordain that there would be no place for Mary and Joseph to lay their head? Why was there not a hotel or an inn or a bed and breakfast or somewhere for them to sleep where Jesus could have been born? Why did God orchestrate all of this? To understand why God did it this way, you have to understand God. And you have to understand God's plan to save you. To understand that and to understand Luke chapter 2, you have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Because in Genesis chapter 3, we have the story of where Adam and Eve sinned. In the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, we have the Garden of Eden. And we have the perfection of God's creation. We have the animals. We have the trees. We have everything that was perfect. Adam and Eve were even perfect because up to that point, they had not sinned. But at the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says the serpent or Satan comes and he begins just to simply ask questions of Eve. And the only thing God told Adam and Eve that they should not do is they should not eat from one tree in the center of the garden, the tree of knowledge or the tree of good and evil. Just don't eat of the fruit of that tree. That's all God said. He said, if you obey me, things will go well for you. If you disobey me, this will be the consequences. But Satan tricked Eve, he asked questions and he tricked her, and of course Adam and Eve ate of that fruit. And then we understand the consequences because we're living the consequences today. We understand what sin leads to. It leads to death and suffering and heartache and pain. And I want you to listen to what happened right after Adam and Eve sinned. This is what God said to them in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 20. You can just look on the screens. Then the man Adam named his wife Eve, Because she would be the mother of all who live. Verse 21. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing good and evil. What if they reach out and eat of the tree of life? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and He sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. Now really for us, a Passover verse, one we don't even think about, but one of the most important verses in all the Bible is Genesis 3.21. Look at it again, this is what it said. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Now why did the Lord God make clothing from animal skins? Because if you go back just a few verses in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of good and evil, they realized for the very first time they were naked and they were ashamed of what they had done. And the Bible says they sewed together leaves to try to cover themselves. And then when God came walking in the Garden of Eden, they hid because they were ashamed. And God called out to them. He knew what they had done. And they finally admitted what they had done. And then that leads to Genesis 3.21. And this is the very first time on this earth that the earth had seen death. This is the very first time on this earth the earth had seen sacrifice. Because for God to make clothing out of animal skin, what did God have to first do to the animal? He had to kill it. Now here in Genesis 3.21, we don't know specifically what this animal is. But I would bet my life that this animal in Genesis 3.21 is a lamb. And why do I say that? Hundreds and hundreds of years later, you have to go to the book of Exodus to understand what happens in Genesis 3.21. The beginning of the book of Exodus, we find that God's children, the Israelites, 
are living in captivity. They're living in slavery. They're living in bondage in Egypt. And for 400 years, they had lived in bondage or slavery. They had been treated cruelly and harshly. And in Genesis and Exodus, God raises up a man named Moses to go. And he tells them that he will set his people free. Moses doesn't want to go initially. He says, I can't speak, I can't do this, I can't do that. But God says, go, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and all I want you to do is say these words, set my people free. And Moses says, well, who am I to say sent me? And God says, just say, I am sent you. So I am sends Moses, and Moses goes, and he tells Pharaoh to let my people go. Time after time he goes, and all Pharaoh does is mock him and make fun of him, and says, I ain't letting those people go. So if you start reading the book of Exodus, you see that God has a plan and He says, okay, Moses, I'm going to start sending plagues. I'm going to start sending destruction onto the land of Egypt. And eventually they will let my children free, be free. So nine different plagues throughout the book of Exodus, you see that God turns the water into blood, their life source. He turns it into blood. They can't have anything to drink. Then not only does He do that, He starts to send other plagues like frogs, gnats, flies. He sends sores on all the people. He sends disease on their livestock. He sends locusts to eat the crops. He sends hail to destroy their crops. He sends darkness, complete darkness to cover the earth. Eventually, Pharaoh's heart begins to soften just a little and he begins to try to barter with Moses and he says, hey, I'm not going to let you go, but I'll let you go out to the desert for a little while, get your feel of being gone, and then I want you to come back. Moses says, that's not what God said. So Pharaoh says, well, hey, why don't you go, but y'all, your wives and children have to stay here. Moses says, that's not what God said. And he said, well, hey, you can go, but all your livestock and everything you own, it has to stay here. Moses said, that's not what God said. But then the Bible says that Pharaoh's heart becomes hardened. And he says, I'm not letting you go anywhere. So in Exodus chapter 11, you see the final thing that God does to set his children free. The Bible says that God is going to send death. To every home in Egypt. Every firstborn son is going to die one particular night when the death angel passes over. Without exception, from Pharaoh to the lowliest person in Egypt, the firstborn son will die. But in Exodus chapter 12, God makes a way for His children to be spared from death. And He tells them specifically to take a lamb. And to kill a lamb. And to sacrifice a lamb. And if you read Exodus chapter 12, you see that there's very specific instructions for this lamb. Number one, he says it has to be a lamb. Up until this point, Israelites, they would sacrifice things like bulls and dove and other types of animals. But God said it must be a lamb. And it must not only be a lamb, it must be a lamb that is only one year of age. In the prime of its life. Not too young, not too old. Not only must it be a lamb, it must be one year of age, it must be a male lamb. But not only that, God says that the lamb that you choose to sacrifice to me must be without spot or blemish, no disease, no type of sore, no type of skin defection whatsoever. It must be perfect. And not only must it not have a spot or blemish, it must not ever have had a broken bone. You can never give God an inferior sacrifice. And then that animal, that lamb, must be slain and it must be roasted. And then the blood of that animal must be applied to the doorpost of the house because if the blood of the animal is on the doorpost of the house, then when the death angel passes over, the death angel will not kill the firstborn son. So the Israelites do this. And on the night of Passover, 
The death angel comes throughout all of Egypt and it goes everywhere, even in the land of Goshen where the Israelites live. But in the land of Goshen, all the Israelites had painted blood on the doorposts of the house. So the death angel passed by or passed over their house without touching their home with death. But everywhere else in Israel or everywhere else in Egypt, the people died, the firstborn son, even the firstborn cattle. So eventually Pharaoh not only said that the people could leave God's children, he begged God's children to leave. What's amazing about this story, especially Exodus chapter 12, if you understand the Bible and you understand Old Testament, New Testament, you understand exactly who Jesus Christ is. In John 1.29, the first thing that John the Baptist says when he sees Jesus Christ, he says Jesus, he says to Jesus, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Jesus is a lamb. Not only that, Jesus is a male. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, He gave His one and only what? Son. Not only that, Jesus died in the prime of His life, just like the Lamb at Passover. 33 years of age, not too young, not too old, the prime. Not only that, if you understand the Bible, you understand that Jesus Christ was without spot or blemish. That's why He was born of a virgin, because Jesus Christ is the only man who never sinned while He lived on this earth. He is 100% God and 100% man, never born of the seed of man. And that is why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, The one who knew no sin, talking about Jesus, was made sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He was without spot or blemish. Not only that, he never had a broken bone. If you know anything about the cross, you know that Romans always broke the leg of the prisoners hanging on the cross. And they did it for a specific reason. They wanted to speed up death. And when they would break the legs of the prisoner, taking a huge sledgehammer, cracking the bones and the legs, the man who was hanging on the cross could not raise up and take breath, so he would die almost immediately. When they came to do that to Jesus Christ, they saw that he was already dead. And rather than breaking his legs, they pierced his side. Not a bone in his body was broken. Not only that, he was slain and he was roasted. You understand what led up to the cross and preceded it and what happened on the cross. You understand the suffering of the cross and the sacrifice of the cross. And you understand that it points to Exodus chapter 12. Not only that, the blood of Jesus must be applied to the doorpost of our heart. For us to be freed from the bondage of sin. And for us to never taste death. How do I know? Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.18. Peter says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose Him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, it has been revealed for your sake. The blood of the Lamb saves us from our sin. I know you're thinking, what in the world does all this have to do with Christmas? What does it have to do with Luke chapter 2? You cannot understand Luke chapter 2 Unless you understand Genesis chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 12. I told you earlier that Bethlehem is 5.6 miles from Jerusalem. More importantly, 5.6 miles from the temple in Jerusalem. 
Ever since Exodus chapter 12, all the way up to the birth of Christ, and even today, Israelites celebrated the Passover. And they celebrated the Passover by sacrificing a lamb. And the lamb was taken to the temple. And the blood of the lamb was poured over the people of Israel symbolically for the forgiveness of sin. The lambs that were sacrificed in the temple were raised in places like Bethlehem by shepherds who watched the flock. Not only did those shepherds watch the flock and take care of the flock, those shepherds were there when those lambs were born. Those lambs weren't born in a stable as the King James describes it because we don't understand stable, what the Bible means there. They were born in caves. Because Bethlehem was on the Judean hillside and there were many caves. Whenever a sheep was about to give birth to a lamb, the shepherd would take those sheep into those caves, into the stable. And they would help the sheep give birth and then they would do something very important to the lamb. Because that lamb was to be a Passover lamb and because it was to have no spots or no blemish and no broken bones, whenever the lamb was first born, the first thing they would do is they would take strips of cloth and they would wrap them around the lamb very tightly to basically bind their legs so that they could not walk, so they couldn't flail around, so they could not move. Because the most dangerous time in a lamb's life was when they're first born because they're weak and they're frantic and they usually get up and they try to walk or run and inevitably their leg breaks. So they would take the lamb and wrap them in strips of cloth and bind their legs and then guess where they would place them? In a manger. A trough. And they would lay that lamb there bound so that it could calm down and so that it could gain strength. And then eventually they would release those strips of cloth and they would let the lamb walk and go out and join the flock. Look at Luke 2 again. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Why was Jesus wrapped snugly in strips of cloth? Why was He lying in a manger? Because Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who was sent to take away the sins of the world. That's the story of Christmas. It's not about a journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It's not about a donkey on which they rode. It's not about Mary and Joseph. It's not about wise men. It's not about shepherds. It's about the Lamb of God. He came. And the first thing he wore were swaddling clothes. Because he would be the lamb that was slain. Not only do we know the first thing Jesus wore was those swaddling clothes, we know the last thing he wore as well. It wasn't clothes at all. See, on the cross, Jesus Christ would have hung naked. That's what they did to prisoners who were crucified on a cross. That was part of the shame. But like all other prisoners, Jesus Christ was wearing something on the cross. 
To understand that, you've got to go back to Genesis 3 as well. Just before verse 21 is verse 17. This is what God says to Adam. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it and it will grow thorns and thistles. Just before Jesus Christ was crucified, the Bible said he was flogged or scourged in the fortress Antonio. Right after that scourging, one of the Roman soldiers unknowingly went to the curse. And he found a thorn bush and he weaved together a crown of thorns. And he placed it on the brow of Jesus Christ. Just like Jesus Christ wore swaddling clothes when he was born. Thirty-three years later, he wore a crown of thorns. Because he wore the curse of our sin. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Who came to take away the sins of the world. Six hundred years before Jesus was born. The prophet Isaiah wrote about Jesus. In Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, 6, Isaiah says this specifically. He says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. Leaving God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid upon Him the sins of us all. Laid upon who? The Lamb of God. So this Christmas, as you celebrate, as you open gifts, as you eat all the food, would you at least remember the Lamb? Whom the Bible said was slain before the foundations of this world. Because he was sacrificed for you. So bow with me, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word always pointing to Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning that someone would see that fact. And not only would they see that, they would see what Jesus Christ did for them. And Lord, I pray for any person in this room who does not know you, who is still separated from you, who's living in bondage and captivity. Lord, I pray today they would apply the blood to the doorpost of their heart. Lord, I pray that you would give them eternal life. Lord, just minister in this place. We just give you these moments to you. We thank you for them. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, maybe you are here and maybe you do need to apply the blood of Jesus to your heart. It's not difficult. In fact, it's easy. The Bible says you do that through faith. You just believe. 
The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. <coughs> Excuse me. If this morning, if you need to be saved, put your faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and He will save you. This morning, stand as we worship. <clears throat>